Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We are glad that you have decided to join us today. I'm your host, Jonathan Darty, and I'm super excited today to have on the line with us uh, Nick Stumbo from up in the in the Pacific Northwest, right? You're in the Portland area. Yeah, so, yeah just to the east of Portland here. Yeah, so Nick, welcome to uh, the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to connect with you guys and everything you guys are doing at Be Broken Ministries. Yeah, so Nick, I want to just dive right in and uh, let our listeners kind of get to get to know you, uh, because I would love for them to hear kind of your story. You're a guy who doesn't minister in this area from a place of some kind of ivory tower or some sort of detached uh, realm from this issue of sexual brokenness. So would love for our listeners to just hear your story and then let's start talking about kind of uh, where God's got you now in terms of being able to uh, leverage his grace in your story for a greater good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of a quick snapshot of my life. I grew up in a pretty traditional conservative evangelical home. My dad was a pastor, mom played piano. We were in church, you know, three times a week, that sort of thing. Um, And all of my early encounters with anything sexual um, were outside of the home. You know, sex was never discussed in our home, like in most Christian families. That was kind of the taboo topic. And so I learned early on that sex uh, seemed secretive and it seemed um, shameful that I I felt to bring up would just cause problems in the home. And so learning to deal with all the temptations that would come on my own and um, as a teenager fell into pornography and um, I came into adulthood right as the internet's coming of age also in the late 90s and the the unfiltered access to that proved to be a a real stumbling block and yet um, you know all along the way I'm preparing for ministry I'm trying to love the Lord with my whole heart the way I know how and so I'm never living at that time a double life or just trying to keep this hidden and and enjoy it every time for me in my life of stumbling into pornography was going to be the last time you know i was confident okay this time i'm going to change and never again lord and right but as many people can relate to battling on my own uh, it never was the last time and I, i did the one thing the church had taught me is what would lead to freedom which was to confess your sins you know bring it into the light and confession was kind of viewed as the ending point and so i confessed pretty regularly to youth leader, uh, my college dorm, you know, the resident dean, the college VP of student body life, um, my first senior pastor, my elder board, just thinking if I confess it well enough, it's going to be done. Um, And yet people would be very gracious. They would applaud me even for my honesty and yet didn't know how to help other than to say, you know, we're with you. 
so I was also pretty honest with my wife to confess, you know, once a year, twice a year when I feel guilty enough, I get the courage to share with her. And, and of course, I'd always say, well, it's, it's not about you. It was never a reaction to her or something. Mm-hmm. We weren't doing it. I'd say it preceded you. And it's just the stupid thing I fall into once in a while. And, um, and she was, you know, initially shocked and confused by that. Um, but then supportive, wanted to help figure out the way through. And I think I was so good at convincing her every time was the last time she believed me. Okay, mm-hmm. this now it's going to be different. Now it's going to be different. Um, but after 10 years of that, of our marriage and of being the pastor at our church, when it wasn't different, we were at a real crisis point where the pain it was causing her, because you know, no matter what I would say to her, and I find no matter what a husband says to a wife, the wife feels like it's about her. The wife right. feels the pain of betrayal, the, the, break, the breaking of trust. Um, and so she was starting to say things to me like, I don't know how to be around you if this keeps happening. Mm. And she'd say, I don't hate you, but I hate the way this makes me feel. And I don't know how to stay around the pain. And, and so she's using the kind of words of separation and divorce. And, you know, typically if a senior pastor's wife leaves him, he doesn't stay in the ministry very long. Right. And so I, I was on the brink of really losing everything that mattered in my life because of an issue I continually told people was I was working on, it was getting better. It was no big deal. And so here, this thing I'm telling myself is no big deal is about to derail everything in my life. And so that led to kind of a real crisis for us. And it was right around that time that by God's providence, we were introduced to Pure Desire Ministries, you know, founded by Ted Roberts and was given the opportunity to start uh, a counseling process with him. And then also his requirement of being in counseling was that we were both in groups mm-hmm. uh, for myself as the one who struggled and for my wife as the spouse who was feeling betrayed and broken. And, and just the healing journey we experienced over that year was, was truly remarkable. I mean, it, made a change in me, a change in our marriage, and ultimately became the change in our church because we're, as we were encouraged um, not to just deal with it and hide it and add one more thing we didn't talk about, but really that dealing with it meant becoming vulnerable, becoming real. And so um, on a Sunday morning about seven years ago, I stood in front of my church and preaching through Romans chapter seven, you know, Paul describing, why do I do what I don't want to do? And Mm-hmm. I said, I've got to confess that I, I know this passage all too well because of my own addiction to pornography. And then I wanted to you know, confess to the church that I'd failed in this area, talked about the healing and recovery that we'd walked through, asked for their forgiveness, and then asked for their help in starting groups for men and women in our community that were struggling. Um, and that, just, that really launched a whole new season for our church where it really became okay not to be okay in this area. And um, we just watched that change lives and you know, one thing leads to another, and I'm at Pure Desire full-time and um, getting to, to help others hopefully write a story of some sort in their life of hope and healing. And so that, that's a real quick flyover, and I'd be happy yep. to dive deeper into any of those moments that you think might be helpful, but that's yeah, there's, walk through. There's a few things that I'd love to unpack. I mean, there's, there's several things along the way there that I think are, are common missteps that some people have. Um, especially the idea of, of the confession piece. Um, yeah. Not that confession is a misstep, but you were engaged in what I typically call serial confession. Like yeah. you become a serial confessor. And uh, one, of the, one of the dangers I see in that is that we, we often, and I'd love for, to get your feedback on this, we often don't know how to marry confession with repentance. And so a lot of times we just hold up confession and go, Hey, just bring it into the light. 
bring everything into the light. Don't leave anything in the dark, right? And yeah. I think the problem is, is that you can cont- continually bring stuff into the light without ever changing the disposition or the direction of your heart, right? So can you talk a little bit about the, the difference between maybe just being a serial confessor and what does then that godly sorrow that produces repentance, what does that repentance piece look like in concert with confession? Because it's not like you don't confess. You have to confess, right? No. In fact, yeah. you have to confess in order to repent. So, but, but how, do you, how do you help people navigate that when you see people doing the same thing you were doing, which is essentially being a serial confessor? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I joke that I would have made a good Catholic because of how quickly confession would come and, and nothing against being Catholic because I've got some great friends that are Catholic. And, but I think there is a model there. If I go to a spiritual leader, I kind of drop all my stuff on them, feel horrible about myself. But in receiving grace from them, I walk away feeling better, feeling strengthened, like, all right, this time it's going to be different. But as, as you know well, the word repentance implies a change in behavior. And I think what I had been taught or maybe learned growing up was that repentance was more about um, wanting to feel to do differently or to, to, to feel bad about what I've done and intending to go in a different direction. So I would say I, I thought for all those years I was confessing and repenting because I wanted to do something different. Um, but what I, how I would describe it is I didn't necessarily have the tools to know what to change and no one else was really guiding me to say, you know, if, if you truly want to go in a different direction, here's the things that need to change in your life. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think that's what we get into with, you know, serial confession is we just think the, the openness is what will change us. Well, openness is certainly a part of the process. As you say, you know, it's, it's not that we don't confess. It's that confession is part of a process to say, now that it's in the open, let's deal honestly with what we've found. And so that's what was so transformational for us was having ongoing groups where confession wasn't just this once in a while thing. It was just learning to live in honesty, that all my behaviors were just going to be above board. And I was going to talk about what was going on and, and then actually to see what, what were the patterns I was stuck in, what was going on in my brain. So in order to truly repent, to change and go in a different direction, I had to know what that looked like. And so it, it had to go beyond desire to actually taking action. And, um, and that, that made a real difference for us. Yeah, and I think there's a, you know, one of the things that was transformational for me was was really starting to grasp this difference between the the sorriness of confession and the brokenness in repentance. Because it was like, I could be sorry all day long mm-hmm. for the things that I had done. I mean, and, and really feel it like, oh man, I feel bad. I feel terrible. And that's why when you talked about kind of going and con- and just dumping it at a spiritual leader's feet and then feeling good because, hey, they kind of patted me on the head with some grace. I'm like, oh, and we, th- we think that the end game is about, quote unquote, feeling better, right? Yeah. When in fact, I, one, I, one thing I eventually learned, and I'm sure you have too because of the stage you're in right now, is that, you know, really the process of transformation feels pretty terrible, <laughs> You know, because what you're doing is you're going from a pro, from a a paradigm and a lifestyle that says take the path of least resistance, go wherever your urges and your and your feelings and your pleasure wants take you, and now what you're having to do is engage your will in a completely different direction that says if I go this way for a season and maybe for quite a long season, it's going to hurt. Yeah. 
because it's not going to be where I want to go. It's not going to be the things that feel good. It's not going to be something that has a real quick, pleasurable payoff. So talk a little bit about that, about kind of the discomfort of going, of, of learning to move in the right direction, realizing that down the road, there is a much better payoff, but the process is very painful. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Jonathan. That's a great point. And I remember when I was first meeting with Ted Roberts, he made that comment to me. He said, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And when he said that, you know, what I'm thinking is like, my struggle is going to get worse or that, but he meant the pain. Mm -hmm. And I found out how right he was because transformation really is about being willing to turn around and face the pain that you've been avoiding and not to cope with your pain anymore by running off to pornography. Um, and I, I think what was scary to me is I didn't even realize that's what I was doing until someone kind of walked me through that process to see how pornography had become a form of pain avoidance and a way of dealing with discomfort in my life. Um, and I, I find that so many people, there's this cognitive disassociation where we don't see the connection. So we just keep repeating a behavior thinking it's, well, it's just this bad behavior I need to stop, but we're not looking at why am I doing what I'm doing? And when you have to stop and with the help of a group or a professional counselor, look at why do I do what I do? You're going to face all your deepest stuff. Um, so that's why we say often, you know, this isn't about changing behavior. It's about changing the way you do life. Mm -hmm. you, know, when you realize that underneath this behavior, that the behavior has just been masking the fact that I'm a very performance driven person. I care about what others think of me way too much. Um, I, I fear pain and I avoid difficult conversations and, and you have to see the, the reality of your life and deal with it. Um, that is hard. And then in addition to that, as I said earlier in our story, you know, I would tell my wife, oh, this isn't about you. You know, you shouldn't feel bad because it's my problem and I'm working on it. Uh, facing the pain also meant being willing to really see the impact it was having on others. And that, for me, obviously started with my spouse. And to really, in a sense, embrace her pain to say, this is real. If, if this is what she feels, this is a real thing. Mm -hmm. I need to recognize I caused it, that it's not her fault she feels this way. And, and when you recognize that you have caused your bride that level of pain and you're willing to start owning it, it does feel awful. Um, but that is actually part of the motivation that you say, I, I can't keep doing this right. um, for her sake and for you know my own integrity. I need to change. And that's what opens you to the kind of hard work you've got, you've got to do. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that uh, a spouse or even community can often reveal to us are the much deeper things of the heart that have to actually be dealt with. I'll give you an example. We, we, years and years ago, when we first started the ministry, we would do these little one day, uh, 40 days of purity seminars where we're essentially, it would be for men. We're challenging them to just set a new direction, take 40 days and really make 40 offerings, 40 daily offerings to God of, of integrity and see what that does in terms of repositioning your mind and your heart in a new direction. Well, here's what would happen is, you know, we would, we would get um, calls and letters from wives six months later, chewing us out. Like, what did you do to my husband? And we're going, what are you talking about? And they'd be like, you know, six months ago, he was a jerk, but he had this outlet that at least gave me some reprieve every now and then from him being a jerk. Now that he's not looking at porn, he's just as much of a jerk as he was before. What happened? And we started realizing, oh, you could clean behavior and you still have all the dysfunction of the broken emotional state and the broken relational issues 
just because you stop doing the acting out behavior doesn't mean that it automatically changes and transforms the other aspects. So talk a little bit about, about how you minister to couples in that regard in terms of how do you dig into the relational stuff once it's exposed and realize, Hey, did you realize this isn't about porn? This isn't about sex that there's something of a deeper nature that has to be transformed in order for things to change. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really helping people understand, you know, the difference between roots and fruits and that pornography or any kind of sexual struggle is a fruit of those much deeper roots. And when you're getting into the roots of our problems, we're really looking at the lies that we've learned to believe. Um, and, and those lies get planted in our thinking through so many different things. I mean, it can just be the culture we grow up in. But more often than not, the lies that have power in our life are connected to our own story, the places where we've experienced woundedness early in life, mm-hmm. trauma that we've encountered, um, negative messages passed down to us from authority figures or, or things like abuse that just implanted messages in our soul that, like, that we're worthless, um, that we don't measure up, that we don't have what it takes, that we're, um, we're going to be rejected. And so we live life kind of out of this fear and listening to this tape recorder that's playing in the background of our lives. And so when we act out, whether sexually or with anger and control or manipulation or, you know, just avoiding people and, you know, cocooning ourselves in some safe place, all of it really you find is an attempt to deal with those, those messages, those negative messages in our life. And so to really find health and freedom, it's about taking, you know, first the individual that struggles really into those core messages to see how it's driving all of their behavior. And so the, the benefit of that, though, is how they start to see, oh, this, this isn't just about pornography. Pornography is the symptom, not the cause. The cause is my driving belief that I'm worthless. Mm-hmm. And hopefully if they start to see that, they can see how they're bringing that into their relationships, into the way they treat their wife or their kids, uh, the way they can be performance-driven to overcome the voice of worthlessness. So the answer to that isn't, you know, for a guy to stop performing well and, you know, trying to achieve at his job or be a great dad or husband. No, but it's to change that lie that says you have to perform well to be loved because none of us can ever perform well consistently enough to always hit the mark. Mm-hmm. So if we don't perform well and we feel like we're failing or we're a loser again, that's where the anger comes from, the relational dysfunction. So uh, it's really a, about helping a person identify those things and do the hard work of changing them because it's not easy to rewrite messages that we maybe have been listening to for decades. Um, and then one of the you know, things that we do in our ministry, and I'm, I'm sure you do as well, is just see how crucial it is that the couple is doing the work together. You know, I, I think in our society still there's an idea of, well, if someone's addicted to pornography or if they have a major structure of uh, struggle with sexual sin, send them away, fix them up, send them back to the marriage and everything will be hunky-dory. Well, you know, we, we find that these issues are all about relationship dynamics and the family dynamic. If it doesn't change as well, the person struggling or the person with addiction won't stay changed very long because the relationship is still dysfunctional and it'll take them right back to those old core wounds and lies. So the, the couple together has to be able to start looking at what have we both brought into this marriage? What are our family of origins? What are the messages we've learned to listen to? And how do we try to either get the other person to fix us or how do they become the object of that dysfunction? Um, and, and what I found both in our marriage or as we, as we work with couples is that that healing is so much deeper than, like I was saying earlier, stopping a behavior. 
Mm-hmm. It's why my wife and I say it truly transformed our marriage because we learned to see ourselves and how we were treating one another through a totally different lens than anyone had ever taught us before. So um, it, it really is exciting. Like you said, it's hard. It, by far the hardest thing we've ever done, but at the same time, the very best thing we've ever done because nothing has impacted our relationship more than walking through this together. And I think that's always a, a hard sell kind of on the on the front end of a person who's drowning in addiction is like, okay, so you're, you know, you're depressed, you're maybe, maybe even suicidal, you hate your life, you, you know, you're angry all the time. And um, now you need to engage the hardest thing you're ever going to do in your life. You know, it's like, it's sort of a hard sell on the front end. And that's why I think you have to also... Um, that's why I think you do have to dig to those deeper things of saying, do you realize that all the pursuits that you've been engaging in towards the pornography and the things that are these fruits, right? Not the rootish, but all these things that every, every um, thing that has pointed you in that direction underneath it is a legitimate good desire is something that actually, listen, the desire for sex and intimacy is a good desire. It's part of our design as, as male and female. The thing is, is we've so covered those up a lot of times by all of the ways that we've taken that in a direction that's unhealthy and destructive to relationships that it's hard for us to sort of have a feeling of goodness surrounding our sexuality or a feeling of goodness around relationships. But I want to shift gears here a little bit because I want to, I want to hear how, how you transition from kind of the pastorate into now full-time, you know, sexual purity ministry, or are you still doing any kind of pastoring ministry? Or are you kind of hundred percent at pure desire? Yeah. At first um, in our healing journey, you know, we were just um, working at our local church and running groups there. And as I mentioned, seeing God just do great things in couples lives. And um, we were developing a reputation around town as kind of a place to go when you were, hurting in this area. And, and I was glad for that. I mean, I heard a couple of comments that I was known as the porn pastor. Um, and I, I wasn't really sure what that meant. Like if people thought I still had a porn issue or yeah. <laughs> with the porn issue, but whichever way it was like, you know, that's great. Cause the reality is the majority of people in our culture um, are struggling regularly with something along the sexual spectrum. And, and they don't see the church as a safe place to go. And the fact that we were starting to become known as that, I, I just think that's huge. And so um, we were doing what we did. And then occasionally I'd get to speak at Pure Desire Functions, you know, their conference or occasional event and um, wrote our story uh, in a book that Pure Desire published. And so that created connection. And then um, the ministry here is, as you know, uh, founded by Dr. Ted Roberts. Uh, in 2015, Ted was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Uh, he's in his 70s. You know, it so became apparent Pure Desire can't run forever with Ted at the helm. There needs to be a transition of leadership. And so it was at that time they started talking with my wife and I about would we be open to that um, in a full-time way. And it was one of those moments as a couple, we just, we sensed, you know, God, this is what you have for us. You've been, yeah. you've been leading us towards this quite intentionally for some time. And we certainly didn't ever set out to be the, the director of a sexual purity ministry. I mean, who, who at six years old ever thinks I ought to grow up exactly, yeah. in the NBA, either play in the NBA or run Pure Desire Ministries. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no one aspires to that, but God just said, you know, keep using your story to help other people. And so we did two years ago, um, moved from our church, you know, left a place we love with people we still care about deeply and moved an hour south down here to Portland uh, to be a part of the ministry full time. And 
lead our team of counselors and event people and um, just to, to try to grow the ministry and go through this succession that people see Pure Desire is not just Ted Roberts, but it's what he started that has now really become um, a significant healing ministry based on his principles. So mm-hmm. that's kind of been our task these last couple of years is to help people believe that Pure Desire can help just as much whether Ted Roberts is speaking or not. Um, and I, I really think we're making some good strides there. So that's, that's great. So as we, you know, we got a few minutes left and what I would love for you to do is just, I mean, we have listeners that I'm sure are at all various stages in their, you know, uh, brokenness. And so I'm sure we've got listeners that listen, they're, they're still struggling with kind of that serial confession or sort of the try harder model or just, you know, maybe they're just feel, maybe they're stuck because they're just feeling despondent in their, in their journey, just kind of giving up. Um, what word of encouragement or help would you give to those who are listening that are just like, I just don't know what I need to do next. Can you give any kind of encouragement to them of what you would say as just a hopeful message for, for anybody who's struggling out there? Yeah. You know, I, I think the encouragement is that most of us have been in that place at some point where we think we've quote unquote tried everything Mm -hmm. until we realize someone walks along with a a whole new approach and it's, it's hard and it's challenging. But as I said, the most difficult year of our life, but looking back, realizing it was a totally different thing than I'd ever tried before. I was just trying harder on my own to not, to not sin, to pray harder, you know, confess more. And that never worked, but the discouragement was, was there. Um, so I guess to, to give hope and say there, there are structures and plans out there. I know what you do at Be Broken and what we're doing through Pure Desire is really more than just equipping you to, to pray more. It's, it's walking through the things we've been talking about, about your past dysfunction and how that's become uh, a way you relate to life now. So I, I think some of the key tools, you know, it's, it's being in a weekly group uh, that's really forcing you into honesty in a healthy way. Um, that's helping you create healthy guardrails in your life and is giving you the space to really explore the negative messages of your past and how those wounds correlate to your struggle. Because as those three things start to operate, um, it's really significant, the change that can occur. And, you know, we have a, we have a groups map on our website at puredesire.org that we try to help people all over the country get connected somewhere. Um, I'd love to have people check out our book if they're readers. Um, our book's called Setting Us Free. And I tell people I started this process as the ultimate skeptic because I, I didn't think counseling, you know, that was only for people that really didn't know how to trust Christ and mm-hmm. let the Holy Spirit lead them. And um, for sure, being an addict was something outside my vocabulary. But in the book, then I just process not only our story, but where I see every piece of the journey in scripture, because I really believe it's deeply biblical, um, all these things you and I have been talking about. And so I try to just tell our story with God's story and then look at how is that everyone's story. And so if that's yeah. helpful to someone, you'll love to have them check it out. It's, it is on Amazon or also through puredesire.org. We have a, a bookstore on our website. And, just love to keep telling the story to help more people. Yeah. And that's one of the things I want to highlight. It's one of our core values is, is story. Um, and the thing is, is that that's also one of the scariest things for mm. people who've been living a double life or they've been keeping a bunch of secrets. And so one of the things that I would just like to say to the listeners is, is, you know, those safe places, those safe environments like a group or a counselor are great places it's a those are great practice fields for being able to unpack your story because those are predefined environments that are going to 
they're going to have established within them that safety of confidentiality and grace and a place where it's not about shame. It's not about blame or any of those kind of things. It's about, Hey, let's get all this out into the light so that we can begin uh, moving in a new direction. Well, yeah. Nick, thank you so much for uh, just sharing your story, continuing to do so and for what you're doing at Pure Desire and just for being with us today, I, I, I hope it was a, a good time for you to be able to share with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the chance to connect, and I hope we get to do this again sometime. Yeah. And again, listeners, if you want to check out Pure Desire, you can go to puredesire.org and check out their resources there and learn more about what they're doing to really uh, impact folks in this area of sexual purity ministry. Uh, of course, you can always find us at puresexradio.com or you can go on Twitter at puresexradio. We'd love to hear from you. Any questions you have or just anything that we can do to walk alongside you and just help you uh, live a life of purity more faithfully, we'd love to do that. We're grateful for you and look forward to having you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.